Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. We have had the order of our teaching switched on us today. So instead of continuing on our message of faith, we will talk about the will of God, which we've been discussing in the last few lessons. The will of God. Now, in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, in the 17th verse, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, underline those two words, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life, by one Jesus Christ. In other words, as death reigned in the heart of man through Adam's disobedience, and you know that there was a reigning of death, so much more should we reign in life by Jesus Christ through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's the will of God that we reign as kings in life. As a matter of fact, you'll find that Amplified Bible states that we are to reign as kings in life by Jesus Christ. Let's confirm that in the book of Revelation, the first chapter in verse 6. The book of Revelation, the first chapter, and verse 6. In, well, we'll have to read 5 and 6, really. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And also in the fifth chapter of the same book, and verse 10, we read, The four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb that was slain, Jesus of Nazareth, and in verse 10 says, And has made us to our God kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. And we shall reign on the earth as kings and as priests. Now, as a born-again Christian, as a believer, we have a unique relationship with Jesus and our Father. As a matter of fact, the relationship that we have with our Father is only comparable to the relationship that Jesus Christ had with him when he was here on the earth. Our relationship to the Father is the same as his relationship was to the Father. We are the sons of God. Jesus was the Son of God. And he has made us sons of God. He says, I will be unto you a father, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God. And we shall reign upon the earth. Now remember, we said that Adam was called to have dominion over all the earth and all the works of God's hand. He was called to a place of dominance, dominion. To have dominion and reign over all the earth. The kingdom was in the earth. God's kingdom in heaven, he was reigning king. God's kingdom in the earth, he delegated the authority to man to be king and reign over the earth. That was the will of God. Now, our dominion, according to the will of God, and I'll show it to you by the scriptures that it's the will of God, our dominion over the earth 
supersedes the dominion that Adam had when he was created by God, because our dominion is as far-reaching as Jesus' dominion when he was seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the majesty on high. And bless God, we were seated there with him, and he is the king. He reigns over the earth through us, the kings. He's king of us kings. He reigns through us over the earth. We reign by him. Notice it says we are to reign as kings in life by Christ Jesus. So our dominion is as far-reaching as Jesus' dominion is, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the dominion we have. We've been called to heirship, to sonship. Heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, our relationship is unique. If you'll turn with me, well, you don't have to turn to them, just write down some of these scriptures. If you want, you can look them up. In Colossians, the first chapter, verse 13, we're to reign as a king because of the fact our relationship with Jesus is unique. Our relationship with Jesus is one that is astounding to the human mind. If it didn't say so in the scriptures, one would hardly even declare it to be true. But it begins right here. We have been delivered out of the control or the dominion of darkness. Colossians 1.13. And we have been translated into the kingdom of the Son of God or the Son of His love or the kingdom of love. We have been translated. We were under the rule and the dominion of the satanic forces of darkness that rule this world. Remember Ephesians 6 and 12 says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places, and the rulers of the darkness of this world in whom God, Satan is the god of this earth. But you and I have been taken out of the control and the dominion of darkness. We have been removed from the kingship of Satan, and we have been placed into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, where Jesus reigns as king over the kings of the earth. He is the king, and we, in our relationship to him, have become kings in the earth. For we are to reign in life as kings. We've been made kings and priests unto God. Number two, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 17, this is how we are to reign as a king. This is our unique relationship with him. In verse 17, he that is joined unto the Lord, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. We have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness. We have been placed into the kingdom of light. And in that relationship and union and identification with him, we have been made to partake of his own nature. He that is joined under the Lord has become one spirit with the Lord, one spirit with God. We're not one spirit with Michael the archangel. We're not one spirit with Gabriel the angel. We're not one spirit with any of the other angels that are, have been created by God. We haven't been made one with anything but God himself. We have been joined unto the Lord, and we are one spirit with the Lord. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. In the first creation, man was made a little bit lower than Elohim. In the recreation, God had to recreate man to make him equal with himself. For you are equal heirs with God, join heirs with Jesus Christ. One spirit in the Lord. He that is joined unto the Lord is the one spirit. Bless God, that's how you're to reign as a king, through your union with him in the Spirit. Okay, now, in the book of Ephesians, you have to see these scriptures. I don't mean with your eyes, I mean in your spirit. This is your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is your union with deity. This is your identification with his own person. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter... Not only are we one spirit, fifth chapter, verse 30, 
We are one spirit with the Lord, for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Glory be to God. I'm one, you're one in spirit with him. We are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Glory be to God. I want you to know something here. As I, as I looked over this scripture, it seemed like something on the inside. Well, witness with my spirit and said, did you notice I made provision in spirit for you? Did you notice I made provision in the flesh for you? You are one in the spirit. You are members of his flesh and of his bone. But the will, the soul, is left up to you. If you will fulfill and consecrate yourself to doing the exact will of the Father, take your will and make your will God's will, then you are in union with Him, spirit, soul, and body. And then when you walk in the earth, you walk as a habitation of God in the Spirit. But you see, He didn't do anything with your soul, with your will. That's left up to you. That's left up to us as individuals. We that are joined unto the Lord are one Spirit. We are partakers of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. In the book of Hebrews, the third chapter, and verse 14, how else can we reign in life? How else can we act as a king? How else can we exercise rule and dominion in the earth? Unless we are identified with the king himself. Jesus said before he left, there's not one that's going to be above his master, but it's enough if every one of you be equal to and be as his master. Amen? What do you think he was saying? You're not going to walk in this earth as a king and not have the same authority and power that he had when he was here on the earth. There's no way we can do it. It took all the power of God that he had to walk upon this earth and to fulfill the revealed will of God in his life. He says, I'm not coming to do my will, but the will of the Father that sent me. And all the way unto his death. And you can hear his last words before Calvary. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Even though the, the, the forces of darkness are warring against my will, not to give my life and go unto death, he says, not my will be done, but your will, Father. The battleground is in the will, it's in the mind. In the third chapter of this here book of, of Hebrews, and look at verse 14. Again, the scriptures that I'm pointing out to you must be meditated. They must be in your spirit, in your inner man. Here's what he's saying. For we are made partakers of Christ. Remember he said, be not partakers with the works of darkness. But you are made partakers of Christ. Christ was a partaker of God the Father. We are partakers of Christ. What does he mean? If we hold fast the beginning of our confidence unto the end. We have been made a partaker of Christ. Look at the 12th chapter. You're in the 13th, or uh, 3rd chapter. Go to the 12th chapter of Hebrews. In our, this is our identification and our union with Him. We have been made a partaker of Christ. Here we are made partakers. Verse 10. For they, verily for a few days, chasten us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. If you have been born into the family of God, you have been made a partaker of Christ. If you are a partaker of Christ, you are a partaker of His holiness. 
If we are partaker of his holiness, we are expected to walk in his holiness. We are to be as holy as he was. Be holy, for I am holy. One could not hardly say that God could demand his people to be holy if he did not make us partakers of the holiness of Christ. But if he has made us partakers of the holiness of Christ, if we have been made partakers of God's holiness, then we are expected to walk holy. If we are walking consecrated to God. You see. Now, in 2 Peter... Second Peter, the first chapter, well, hold your place in Second Peter, first chapter. I'm not going to stop that on holiness. Look, look at First Thessalonians, the third chapter. First Thessalonians in chapter three. In our union and identification with Christ, we have been made a partaker of Christ. We've been made a partaker of His holiness. Here's why you've been made a partaker of His holiness. Verse 13, chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians 3.13. To the end He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. Before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. The reason why you've been made a partaker of his holiness so that you can stand unblameable before God, thoughtless and without blame before the presence of his glory. That's why we've been made a partaker of his holiness. And without such holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12 and 14. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Do you see it? Now, go to Second Peter. First chapter. Verse 4. Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might become partakers of his what? Divine nature. You are a partaker of his holiness. You are a partaker of his divine nature. You are a partaker of Christ himself. That we might escape the corruption or the pollution that's in this world through lust. The only way you will escape the pollution and corruption of the world is by identifying yourself with Christ as being made a partaker of His holiness and a partaker of the divine nature. And thirdly, a partaker of His sufferings. Go to the first Peter, book of first Peter, fourth chapter, and verse thirteen. Verse thirteen. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. For if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. As we understand and identify ourselves and our union with his sufferings, true sufferings, then and only then will the glory of God rest upon us, the fire of God's Holy Spirit to burn out all ungodliness and build within us the very life and nature of God himself by being made a partaker of his sufferings. This includes persecution for righteousness' sake. 
It does not include sickness nor disease. That's not part of his sufferings. But it does include martyrdom. But there are not too many that have been called a martyrdom. Very few have ever been called a martyrdom. We've not been called to that. If you have been, you'll know it because God will tell you. Didn't he tell Peter? Didn't he tell the rest of them how they would die for his name's sake? Didn't he? Well, he'll tell you too if you've been called a martyrdom. Not, I'm going to stand on the word of God. Amen? Well, they did, didn't they? He said, some of you died just like I did, and they did. About five of them did. They were made a partaker of his sufferings. But it was when their work was done, not before the work was done. Even though Paul had to die for the name of Jesus, when they tried to kill him before his time was up, God brought him back to life. Amen? Do you see it? Now, all this is the will of God. All this is the will of God. This is the will of God concerning us that we reign in life by Christ Jesus as kings and priests under God by being made a partaker of His holiness, sufferings, divine nature, and in John seventeen twenty two, a partaker of His glory. The glory that I have, I have given unto them. The glory that you have given unto me, I have given unto them. Also, we've been made a partaker of his power. In Luke ten nineteen, he said, I'll give you power to tread on serpents, serpents and scorpions, all, all the power of the enemy. And then he said over there in Ephesians, the sixth chapter and verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, I've been made a partaker of his power. Oh, would to God that the eyes of the Christian church would open up and the eyes of God's people would be opened up so that we could take the high calling word until we've been called and lift up our voices and hearts and lift up our eyes and have the vision of entering into the throne room and living the throne life, walking in the throne room's love, walking in the power of the throne and all the glory that the throne has to offer and the name that stands in back of that throne, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And take that name and live the throne life and reign in life as a king by one Christ Jesus. Now that's what he wants us to do. That's the will of God. And I'll show it to you. It wasn't my will that this happened. Oh, bless God. See, this is being made a partaker of his kingship. But none of this is my will. It wasn't your will. I'll show it to you. Look at John's Gospel, the first chapter. Someone says, you know, if God wills, well, let's kick that out of our vocabulary and find out what God wills. Find out what the will of God is. So we don't have to keep saying, if it be God's will. Let's find out what the will of God is. Over here in the verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them gave he what? Power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his what? Which were born. Are you ready for it? which were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. I can prove it to you it's the will of God, because James, the first chapter, verse 18, says, Of his own will beget he us with the word of truth. I don't know about you, but it excites my heart, my spirit, my soul, and my flesh even wants to do a dance. Whenever I realize that it was the will of my Father to give birth to me into his kingdom, make me a partaker of his nature, of his holiness, of his sufferings, of his love, of his power, so that I can, of his kingship, so I can live and rule and reign in the earth as a king through Christ Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. And it was the will of the Father. Look at Ephesians, the first chapter. If this is the Father's will, then it should be done in our lives. And if it's not done in our lives, then it's not the Father's problem. And it's not his fault either. Whose is it? Look at the first chapter. <clears throat> Let's start reading from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He's already done it. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will. Hallelujah. Whose will? His will. Let's go on. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. That mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now remember what we said. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God will be merged. There will be a merging of these two kingdoms so that God will be all in all. And the, the purpose that he has called us to himself and the purpose that he came to set up an earthly kingdom, the kingdom of God in the earth, was so that he could have that day of that merging through us who have reigned in the earth so we can call all those that are living in darkness and under the rule and the dominion of Satan's kingdom and say, look, there's a better way. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to live in sickness and disease and sorrow and all pain and all these things that are on the earth. You can come up to the glory line. You can come to the throne of God. Behold, come and receive the Lord. Be saved, be delivered, be free. And when they all come in to the kingdom of God and that kingdom has been ripened, bless God, then God is going to split the clouds of glory. As our brother saying this morning, he's going to tap Jesus on his shoulder and say, go on down there and bring my family back home, and everything will be reconciled into himself. And God will be all in all, and the end will, be come, and will come. Everything will be established. That's the will of God. And there's no one going to change that will. Of his own will, he gave birth to us. And all the power that Satan had to stop it was not enough because Jesus rose from the dead anyhow. Glory to God. Now, anyone that wants to come, can come. Him that will come to me, I'll not turn away. I will no wise cast out. Anyone can come. And there's not enough power in Satan's kingdom to stop you from being born to the family of God. And living and reigning in life as a king over sin, sickness, disease, and poverty, and all these things that this world has to offer. That's all it has to offer, too. Amen? Well, we're going to show you how to do it here. Now, notice all this was done in the next verse according to his will. In whom also, this is verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Here it is. Look at the next verse. That we should be the, to the praise of his glory. Did you know that we are to the praise of God's glory? Who first trusted in Christ. We are to the praise of his glory. If any man, Jesus said, will to do my will, he will know whether the doctrine be of God or not. If a man will will to do his will, that's all it takes. If a man will will to do his will and enter into all my will, then that person shall be to the praise of the glory of God. Now, that's what Jesus said in John 7, 17. John 7, 17, in case you want that scripture. Now, we need to know how this happens. Let's go back to Matthew's Gospel. The, 13th, or the third chapter, verse 13. How do we reign in this life? How, what is a Christian consecration? What is the absolute consecration of the Christian life and dedication? If that be the case, if that's the will of the Father, it sounds like there's no room for defeat. I mean, I read my Bible like that all the time. It sounds like that book tells me there's no room for defeat in my life. Isn't that what it says? There's no room for us to be defeated. Amen. Think of all that. Partaker of His glory. Partaker of His nature. Partaker of His power. Partaker of His name. A partaker of Christ. Partakers with God. God is not defeated. There's no room for defeat. We are to reign as kings. That's what he said to do. Now, the Spirit of God is showing us something here we need to understand. The human will comes into play right here. Jesus made a declaration in Matthew 3. Look at verse 13 through 15. When he came to the Jordan and he said... 
Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, he says, Even though I may be the Son of God, even though I may be the anointed one, the saved man from their sins, even though I am the Messiah, the one that should come into the world, the God-man standing before you, and, and all this is going on. Everybody's being baptized, and these old Pharisees come up to him, and the scribes come up to him, and they say, you know, we want to be baptized. And John says, who in the world think you, you people, you, you vipers and snakes? He says, who think you're going to come over here and be baptized? You show some fruits of repentance. And then you come and be baptized. And after all that set aside, then starts coming Jesus down the road. Holy one. Sinless one. Spotless one. Blameless one. All these old sinners he turned away. Because they didn't repent. They had needed to be baptized, didn't they? Here comes the master. To fulfill all righteousness, he says, Don't be concerned, John. Baptize me. You see what he was doing? He says, I don't care if it's the smallest thing God wants me to And if that will is that I be baptized in water, I'll be baptized in water. If that will is I sweep the church floor, I'll sweep the church floor. If I just wash the windows in the body of Christ, I'll wash the windows. That's right. If I play the piano, I'll play the piano. Oh, I want to say something to you now. Beloved, you'll never find God's specific will if we don't follow the general will of God. It's His will that every one of us will to do His will. I don't care how small it may seem. It is time that the body of Christ wake up to absolute consecration to fulfill all righteousness because we were told in 1 Peter 2.24 who his own self removed our sin bear our sin in his own body on the tree that you and I being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. In other words, I have removed that sin nature out of you. Now it's your will to fulfill all righteousness. It is up to you to walk righteous before God, not me. I chose to do it. It's your turn. After he makes this absolute consecration to fulfill all righteousness, he lives by it. He stands by what he believes. He lives by it and he says, I am willing even to die by it. Satan comes along in chapter 4 and he says, I'm going to test and try this fellow to see whether he believes what he's saying. It means what he's saying. And if he's going to fulfill what he says. And he tries to tempt him in the physical realm. But he cannot be tempted in the physical realm because he refuses to fall to that temptation. Satan tries to tempt him in the soulless realm, the mind, the realm of the mind. I'm going to get him to change his will. I'm going to get him to follow me. No, you can't get the master in that realm either. No, bless God. Then he tries to get him in the realm of the spirit. Just to get him. And all these temptations are to get him to change his mind, his will. But he can't do it. There's no temptation given, among, given unto us, coming our way. Nothing that the devil can put our way to the man that's absolutely sold out and consecrated to God. There's not one temptation that's coming your way that you are not able to bear because God has made the way of escape and Jesus found the way in all three attempts. Absolute consecration to do and carry out the complete will of God means there's no power in hell that can stop you. He's talking about sin. Temptation to sin. Not to get out of circumstances of life. Temptation to sin against your God. There's no temptation in this world that can come against you that you cannot stand against and overcome. It's called a life of sinlessness. That is where we reign in life. And we'll show it to you here in a minute. As a matter of fact, let's go to the Proverbs, the 16th chapter, and verse 32. I don't know whether you realize it or not. I'm seeing it more and more every day. We have been called to a life of sinlessness. We have been called to a life of sinlessness. I have a new confession. And I just so, I'm so thrilled in my spirit. I'm so excited in my spirit. A new confession. And I said, Lord, why haven't, hasn't this confession been in the body of Christ since this faith mess has been going? 
All it is is, we've always been saying continuously, sickness will not live in my body. I refuse to allow sickness and disease to live in my body. I refuse to let sickness come to my house and I will not accept it in Jesus' name. Right? Well, the Spirit of God has made this so alive in me. He says, I want you to start saying, I refuse to allow sin to live in my spirit. I refuse to allow sin to knock on my door. I refuse to sin against my God. And then he said this, then you won't have any sickness to contend with. I refuse to sin against my God. Let's look at it right here. 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit our first place of dominion as a king is to rule over your own spirit. Rule over your spirit. Rule. What does a king do? He rules and he reigns. That word there, rule, means have dominion over. He that ruleth or has dominion in his spirit, then he that taketh the city. Now go to Romans, the sixth chapter, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. We thought our ruling began with the lives of other people. I mean, if you ever talk to anybody, it seems like everybody knows what everybody else should be doing. Right? Everybody's ruling over everybody else. Like, well, she shouldn't be doing that, and he shouldn't be doing this, and how about that one over there? And that minister here does this, and that one does that. How about ruling your own spirit? How about looking in your own mirror? How about judging yourself? Hallelujah. That's what we've been called to. That's one of the laws of the Constitution in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge not that you be not judged. How about ruling our own spirit like Jesus did? I refuse. Make your consecration. I refuse. If I have to stand against sin under blood, I'll do it. You know, many of them did. They wouldn't sin against God if it meant their life. And they gave their blood not to sin against God. Oh, there were great, a great many, many burdens. Great many burdens that refused to commit sin with anybody, even under blood. They would not, they would not submit themselves or subject themselves to sin if it meant their life. Missionaries I'm talking about. Ladies serving Christ in foreign lands. Hallelujah. Bless God and they obtained to a great resurrection. Crown of glory. Because they refused to give in to sin like Moses did the pleasure of sin for a moment. Amen? Look at what it says in the 6th chapter of Romans. Verse 12. Well, let's look at verse 14 first, then we'll look at 12. For sin shall not have dominion. Now, you mark this down. As a king, as a king, your first place of dominion is in your own spirit, your own life. As a king, I will not let sin have dominion over me. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under law but under grace. Sin, then, in other words, you are a born-again people. That's what he's saying. You're under grace. You are a born-again people. Here's what happened. In the new birth, the Spirit of God, by the blood of Jesus, has come into you, made you a partaker of the divine nature, has changed your inner man, has delivered you from the power of sin, cleansed that sin from you, delivered you from sin's power. And now he says, as a king, don't let sin have dominion over you. You don't have to sin anymore. Look at verse 12 again. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign. You reign as a king over sin. Reign as a king over sin. Have dominion over sin in your life that you should obey it in the lust thereof. We should not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. But that starts in the spirit. Let not sin have dominion over you at all in any way. Now hear me. You're only going to reign as a king in life as Jesus reigns in your life. Jesus reigns in your spirit and his dominion is inside your spirit so that you refuse to allow sin to enter in. You cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit by perfecting holiness which you've been made a partaker of in the fear of God. Then that dominion inside your spirit is the dominion of God's kingdom. 
when you yield your will over to God to not let sin reign in your mortal body, then that dominion that's over your life will cause you to reign in life by Christ Jesus. Now let's look at some scriptures that show you we don't have to let sin reign in us at all. Not at all. 1 John, the second chapter. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. I think we have preached this in a negative note for such a long time that the, the body of Christ has been so misled and misinformed, misunderstanding what John is writing here. Their confession has been so bad concerning this here matter that it's causing them to stay as a baby Christian, causing them to be bound by sin, causing them to have sin reign over their lives. Look at what it says here. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Underline that. Why was that written? Why was that written? The emphasis is not on the second part of that verse. I have written these things unto you, my little children, that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Now, you know how the body of Christ has translated that? I've talked to many of them. I could sin as much as I want to, and God will forgive me because he said he would. If I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, he'll forgive me. Don't you dare walk on that thin ice. Don't you get out there on that thin ice and start living your life like that. That's not what John said in that scripture. That scripture said, I have written these things unto you. Better read those two things he wrote. So that you don't sin. That you sin not. And if you don't believe that, look at John 5.18. He's writing about... I, I thought this here chapter was just talking about love, and he is talking about love, but I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about you walking in love and stop sinning, period, altogether. Holiness. You say, is that possible? Well, look at 5.18, and you tell me if it's possible. I'm ready to shout. You ready for it? We know, 5.18. We know... Something he knows. Glory to God. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Glory to God. Look at what the results are. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, keepeth himself as your will, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Hallelujah. Let not sin have dominion over you. Don't let sin have dominion over you. Go back to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Let's see it again. Oh, glory to God. I've got a new confession on my list. Sin has no dominion over me. I don't have to sin. I don't got to get caught up in your gossip. I don't got to get caught up in your backbiting. You see? That's what he's saying. That's what John's saying. I'm not going to be a partaker of other men's sins. If you don't want to get baptized in water, if you don't want to do all these other things, if you want to not fulfill righteousness, that's your problem. You say, but I can't help it. Bless God, you can do all things through Christ. And he says, I wrote this to you that you sin not, and you've been made a partaker of his holiness, and you better not do it. That's what he's saying. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying that the power of the blood of Jesus separated us from sin and gave us the power over sin that we don't have to sin. Amen. Look what he says here in the 12th chapter. These people were in danger of apostasy. Look at it. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. See? Every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself. You think you're living in the middle of sinners? Jesus ate with the sinners, didn't he? He ate with the lowest of humanity. He ate with all the sinners, but yet unspotted from the world. In every manner tempted like as we are, but without sin. Look what it says here. Read verse 3 again. For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your what? See, that's in your mind. That's where the will is seated. In the mind. My will. I will not yield to sin if it means blood. Verse 4. You have not yet resisted on the blood striving against sin. Oh, Jesus did. 
Oh, he did. He was striving against that sin that was coming against his will in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the last attempt of the host of darkness, and you better believe it was all the big bosses that was up there, all the rulers of the darkness of this world, all the spiritual wickedness in high places, probably Satan himself, all them forces of darkness was warring against his mind. You're not going to do it. You're not going to go all the way. You're going to see, see he, that was warring against his mind. Jesus didn't know what to do. He called for his disciples. Pray, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. My soul warring against my mind. They want me to not do it. And my flesh don't want to do it. There's nobody's flesh that wants to die. You can't tell me for a moment, even though you're born again, your flesh recoils from the thought of death. He didn't want to die. This flesh didn't want to die. Let alone go to hell. But there he was. Oh, bless God, when men failed him, thank God for the angels that were there. Oh, bless God for the heavenly host. Bless God the throne stand behind the man that goes all the way with God. And they stood behind him. Bless God. They comforted him. Not my will be done. He did it. But your will, Father. Even unto death. Those women and men that are in foreign fields, missionary fields, you say, well, they didn't know the faith message. Well, bless God, I tell you what. They were there preaching Jesus. People know the faith message. Don't even preach Jesus around here. They was over there standing for God and the power in his name. They were getting people converted and born again in the family of God. And when the adversary came and told them to stop doing what they were doing, they said, who should we listen unto you or unto God? Bless God. We'll not stop it. If it means our life, we won't stop when they gave their life unto death. It didn't matter whether they knew the faith walk or not. I'm talking about something beyond. I'm talking about obedience to the will and purpose of God if it means your life. Martyrdom. Stephen stood there. Why do you think these examples were in the Bible? I believe Stephen could have been delivered. But God made it so that we can see a man was willing to give his life like Jesus was. Jesus wasn't the only one that would give his life. He, Stephen would do it. James would do it. Peter would do it. If they all had to do it. And that's why he was an example of true martyrdom. Bless God, there was no pain in his death. He looked up to heaven in the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father of God. He saw the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost in one shot. You best believe the glory of God took him home. No man can look upon that glory and live. See what I'm saying? He says, but I will not reject Christ. I will not sin against my God. Jesus is Lord over your spirit. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord over my spirit. And sin has no dominion over me in my spirit for I cleanse myself from all sin I do not have to sin praise God now you see you make that your will oh and you fulfill that the cup that you drink are you ready I knew the spirit of God was I couldn't tell you why we weren't having communion all the time but something deep inside my spirit just said, don't do it. But now the word comes out. When you take that cup, my brother and my sister, and you drink that into your system, you are saying the same consecration that the master has, I drink of the same cup. Now, whether you're fulfilling it or not is not up to me. It's not up to your brother or sister. It's up to you and God. And when you drink that, if you choose not to do it, then that blood will be on you. The Bible says you'll die from it. That's why many will be sickly and many will die because they are not standing for what they are saying they're standing for. You know what that's called? Are you ready for this? That's called a covenant breaker. And you know what a covenant breaker is guilty of? Death. Oh, God's mercy. Blessed be God for his mercy. Thank God we live in the days of grace. Hallelujah. Because the covenant that we have with him is so awesome. Drinking the cup of deity and standing by it under death of this physical life. That's why he said, fear not those that can kill the body. Don't. What can they do to a Christian but kill him? <laughs> you think they defeated you? You're off in glory. Stephen was shot. Praise God. They didn't destroy him, did they? No. His death came, but he was in glory. He received, the Bible says, we, he, Jesus writing to the church at Smyrna said, Stand thou faithful and be faithful even unto death, and I shall give you the crown of life. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation and will, refuses to sin even unto death, for I shall give him the crown of life. 
Jesus said. James wrote it. Jesus must have shared it with his brother. Oh, glory to God. That's where our dominion lies. There's no temptation for you to sin against your God that's above that you're able to bear. But God has made the way out. Second one, number two. 1 Corinthians 6.20. Your second rule as a king in life. And mark what I said again. You can only reign in life as he reigns as Lord of your life. You can only rule and reign as a king over circumstances and all the things that are around us if he is ruling and reigning in your spirit and ruling and reigning in number two, your body. You are to reign over your body. You are to have dominion over the senses and the appetites of the flesh. Let's see what it says here. 1 Corinthians 6.20. Here's the love 19 and 20. Notice the blood. Notice the cup. The cup whereby you drink. The cup that we partake of. Look what it says here. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, and you have a God and you're not your own? You are not your own. Where you take that body is not your responsibility but God's. Listen to me. It's not what you want, it's what God wants. It's God's will where your body should be and what your body should do. Look what it says here. For you are bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself any longer. I rule and reign over my body and the will. Notice it says you weren't born of the will of the flesh. Oh, I love it. You weren't born of the will of the flesh. Your flesh didn't want to be born again. Dear God, no. Your flesh don't even want to be here today, probably. Your flesh don't want to read the Bible. Let alone pray. Oh, dear God, if you tell yourself to pray, your flesh wants to eat a big old cake. <laughs> a big old donut or something like that. You get down there to pray and your belly starts to grind. What in the world is this? Not even thinking about food all of a sudden. Shut up, buddy. Hallelujah. You're not your own. You've been born with the blood of the Lord Jesus. You go for God in your body. Let God reign in your body. That Romans 6.12 said, Let not sin therefore reign and have dominion over your mortal body. You tell that body what to do, not the body telling you what to do. That's your second place of rule and reigning and dominion as a king. You reign over your body. You reign over that body of yours. The further explanation gives us in Romans, the 8th chapter. 8th chapter of Romans. Verse 12. I want you to note again. This is an act of your will. This is an act of your will. This is an act of your will. Yeah, you can do what you want with your body if you want to. You can continue on in the uh, life you lived before. You got saved if you want to. You can continue to put things into your body that are harmful to your body if you want to. But bless God, he said, if any man defile this body, him shall God destroy. And look what this says. You think that's powerful. Look what this says. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. In other words, you have a debt to pay. You owe it to him. Not to the flesh to live after the flesh. There is the will of the flesh. We already talked about that. Therefore, brethren, you're debtors. You have a debt to pay to God. I'm just telling you what you own. For if you live after the flesh, my born-again brothers, Paul is saying, you shall die. But if you to the Spirit do put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. In other words, if you annihilate and kill and crucify this flesh, the will and the desires and the lust of the flesh, then you shall reign in life. If you fail to do it, you shall die. If you live according to the will of your flesh, beloved, listen to me. It'll ignite the course of nature again and set you back on fire of hell. And Satan's purpose is to get you back there where you came out of. That's right. It is your will that's submitted to God to put to death. The appetites and the desires of our flesh should be controlled in God's order. They should be fulfilled in God's order. In other words, we have to eat, but we don't have to overeat. Jesus talked about surfeiting and gluttony, right? He talked about over-drinking, what to drink. I'll be honest with you. I believe if every born-again Christian would get on their knees before God and say, Father God, what do you want me to, you know, we, we get people hung up on whether I should drink an alcoholic beverage or that. I believe if you put, get yourself sincere with God and ask God what, he, what you want inside that body, he'd tell you. And it wouldn't take you very long when you consecrated yourself to God for him to show you what you should put inside that body of yours. 
I'm not talking about foods necessarily. I'm talking about things that could be harmful to that body. People are hung up on tobacco and things like that there. Just get before God and say, Father, that I glorify you in my body. Is this bringing glory to you? Well, I'll stop right there on that. You take it from there. You're called to it. What you do with that body, you're called to it. I'll tell you something right now. People are hung up on so many things. Because I'll tell you why they're hung up. They don't will to do the will of God. Are you hearing me? I said they don't will to do the will of God. God has put ammunition and equipment. He has given you invincible armor whereby you can stand and reign and rule as a king, as a priest and the God over all the circumstances that are around us, spirit, soul, body, temptation, sin and everything. But yet, we're so nitpicking as to what can I get away with is what we're really saying. What can I get away with and still serve God? Let's, let's leave that low opinion of the blood of Jesus and let's climb up the pure ladder under the throne of the living God and let the fire of God's Spirit burn that thought out of our minds, out of our bodies, out of our spirits until we become pure as gold, fine gold in the throne of God. That's right. That's what he expects of us. Since we're running out of time, I'll give you the last one. There's more to that one, but I'm going to give you the last one. So, number three, you are to rule over circumstances. Philippians 4, 12, and 13. Four, twelve, and 13. Philippians 4, 12, and 13. Oh, bless you. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Notice verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. In verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. I have learned that whatever state I'm in, how to be independent of circumstances. Okay, now listen. I have learned. You know how Paul learned this? By realizing he had dominion over his spirit, and sin didn't have to live in him. Number one. Number two. But I, Paul said, keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest by any means myself, after I've spoken to others, should be a castaway. He controlled the body. He had dominion over the body. He says, now I have learned. Circumstances took him in his early, early ministry. Early ministry. But when the man learned how to, in every state, word by to be independent of circumstances, there wasn't one circumstance that was ruling over him. He was the ruler of circumstance. He was the ruler of the circumstance. I can, he, to, to an extent that he can say, I can do all things. Oh, glory to God. There was a fellow on his journey. And his journey led him by a huge lake that he had to go around. And that was getting to be dusk. And he said, uh, <clears throat> he inquired off a ways and said, how much further do I have to go? And they said, it's getting dusk and it's quite a while and the journey's rough. It was the winter time. He said, but you can go across the lake if you want to make it half the distance. So he thought about it, and he says, well, I better. And he began to walk across the lake. Halfway across the lake, he hears snap, snap, snap. Fear grips him. He thinks the ice is breaking. So as not to fall in the water, he lays down, spreads his legs and arms out, and inches himself across as to, you know, proportion his weight so it's not concentrated in the one area so he doesn't go through the ice. And there he goes, inch by inch. He gets himself finally across the lake. Jumps off the other side. Whew. Well, that guy. As soon as he jumps off the other side, he looks back and he sees a fella coming across the lake on a team of horses bringing logs to the other side of the lake. Are you problem conscious? Or are you power conscious? What was the difference between the one fellow and the other? 
the one that was riding the team of horses and bringing the logs across the lake, he knew the power that was beneath him, beneath the, of the everlasting arms. The person that doesn't know those arms are beneath him becomes fearful. But the psalmist said, the circumstances can be so big that the earth be removed from beneath me, but I will not fear. I know him in whom I believe. Be a ruler of circumstances around you with the power of God beneath you. Well, we'll have to close it here. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.